Welcome to the Profit Talks podcast, hosted by the Orange County Inland Empire SBDC Network, funded in part by the U.S. Small Business Administration and the California Office of the Small Business Advocate. This show is the go-to resource for business owners seeking empowerment, education, and resources to succeed. Join us as we connect you with experts, share the triumphs of fellow entrepreneurs, and reveal the wealth of assistance available to you today to level up your business. So let's go. Let's dive in and learn more. Well, every week on this show, I say we have the most interesting guests. And today, I'm going to prove that point here. We have somebody who has a long background in restaurants and some other really cool things. So we're going to talk about all that and more as we talk with Jay. Is it Alice? Did I say that correctly? Yes, sir. Alice. Alice. I want to say Ellis. Does other people make the same mistake? I don't know why I want it to be Ellis, not Alice here. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of funny stories about that. I had a drill instructor because I was in the military once upon a time. Thought I was an Ellis and turned out to be an Alice and somebody else got in trouble. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that sounds like a story in and of itself here. Welcome to the show, Jay. You, you're, you're a California kid that left to see the world. You went back to the country music capital of the world to Nashville and lived there for, what, 20 years or a long time? Yeah, 20, 25 years, something like that. Yeah, I uh, uh, now I can't claim to be actually California. I, I grew up here, out here from the age three to nineteen. Okay, but we'll claim it. <laughs> uh, I uh, I was actually born in in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then my parents moved out here. So wow, that's a big move. Yeah, okay. I started on one side, ended up on the other side, and then found myself in the middle, and now I'm back on the west coast. So you did, so. you know, like every kid, you start off. You said you started off at Domino's Pizza or something. I told the funny story offline. I'm my Michigan cat on here. I'm so proud of the university of michigan right now we might win the national championship and i was there when domino's was created it was the second store they did one at eastern michigan and then down the road a bit at uh, the university of michigan where i went this is like the 70s a million years ago and it caught the world by storm and who knew it was going to become this giant thing all around the world because the thing was everybody went to a pizzeria in those days there was little caesar's pizza in detroit you went you sat down you got a big pizza and you ate it maybe you took it home Domino's had this little shop, and they cranked the pizzas out and brought them to you in 30 minutes with a little oven in the back of their delivery cars here. I was just revolutionary. That one simple trick put them on the map there. And I thought to myself, all the things I could have thought done at University of Michigan, great ambitions I had. I should have just stayed and worked at Domino's Pizza and written it off, you know. Who knows what yeah, would have Sometimes happened. you never know. Sometimes it's uh, staring you right in the face, and you just don't know. But, so what brought you to... Nashville. Were you intrigued with country music? Are you going to be a country music star or break into the <laughs> No, no, no such aspirations from me. Uh, uh, every once in a while, I think I can sing and then I realize I can't. <laughs> um, or at least somebody tells me that I can't. Yeah. Um, I was in the military fresh out of high school. I actually did my basic training uh, after my junior year and my advanced training uh, after my senior year. Okay. And during that time, while I was in my AIT training uh, in Aberdeen Proving Grounds, uh, just outside of uh, Maryland, somewhere. Maryland, yeah, right. actually, uh, I was up there and my parents moved. My stepfather's job moved to Tennessee. Oh, okay. So uh, he was in ceramics manufacturing and sales, and the whole operation moved from Southern California back there. So I found myself faced with a choice of either coming back to California, you know, and when Nobody you here. someplace, yeah. that's where you love, right? Right. Um, so I tried that, 
I stayed out here with my sister and her now husband at their apartment for about six months and just could not make ends meet, you know, uh, didn't have a car, didn't really, I mean, I had a job, but it's it pretty was, hard with know, no car in California here. Can't walk to Yeah, it was really rough. So I figured I would go back to Tennessee and sponge off the parents. Right. Uh, they lived right next to Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back there. They had an extra car. I went to school, you know. Just the random things that direct our lives here, particularly at that age here. You know, we just, oh, I'll go to this and everything else. But you ended up staying there. And then, obviously, you got into the restaurant business. You were, you'd work the front of the house, little places, bigger places, waiting tables, everything under the, under the sun. And then you got into the back of the house. What was that like, cooking? Because I don't think of um, Nashville as a culinary capital, but you say it's a lot of cool stuff there. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, a lot of people don't understand how much culinary stuff is going on out there. One of the one of the key phrases you hear out here or nationwide, really, is the whole term farm to table. Yes. Right. Right. You hear that. And which means just to define it between pieces, just to define it for people, it means, you know, super fresh. It came off the farm and now you're eating it here. It didn't go through 47 vendors by the time that tomato made it to your or that chicken or whatever right, made it right, to your plate. Exactly. We're getting stuff that was grown at the farm down the road right. to your table, right? So you're getting a lot more uh, seasonally fresh items. Um, a lot of the stuff that we get in the grocery store, not that there's anything wrong with it, but... Took a while to get to your like, plate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe it's you know, frozen, or maybe it's... actually picked green in South America, and then they're gassed to turn them red, exactly. and then they get here. And they're they're tasty tomatoes, but if you have a farm-fresh heirloom tomato, it's night and day difference. Night and day. Right? I've had that difference, and you don't think it is different. And, and again, the tomatoes we get are a tomato that they figured out, and it's everybody eats the same tomato. There used to be heirloom tomatoes. Every little region had its own slight variations. The, there were, the seeds weren't all the same. The, some of them had a sweeter taste, a bigger taste, a different, you know, really a wide variety that we've unfortunately narrowed down in commercial America. They pick this is the tomato. This is what a tomato should taste like. Maybe there's two of them or something here. So you oh, don't yeah. get the wide yeah, variety that you get. Yeah. It's really interesting once you start diving into it. But um, in Nashville, farm to table is a real thing, right? Because the farms are all around you there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you've got you've got uh, it, to a certain degree. It's almost comparatively speaking, the the Napa area, kind of that type of area, mm-hmm. right? Where you've got a lot of people doing artisan stuff, artisan cheese. Yeah, uh, Benton's bacon. If you've never had Benton's bacon, never heard of cats. It. That stuff is ridiculous. Um, best bacon on the planet, in my humble opinion. Um, there was a three hundred acre farm. Still is a three hundred acre farm. 10, 15 minutes out of downtown Nashville and outside of downtown Nashville. And they started doing this thing where you could uh, uh, go and get a quarter acre plot and tell them what you wanted them to grow. And they would grow it wow. and they would harvest it wow. and tell you and come and pick it up or we'll take it to you. How cool is that? So, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's uh, more than so a I, don't, I don't want to be this, the Nashville show. I am a big Nashville fan. I take it. Uh, so, yeah. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on there. Um, All right. So, and one of the exciting things is somehow you did stumble into hard not to in Nashville into the music business again, (laughs) running lights and stage and sound and all sorts of stuff for 
locations, even some tours, it sounds like. Anybody you want to mention? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got involved with that. My my life is a a oddball collection of interesting circumstances. Yeah. Um, like I had a friend that was into local crew work. Uh, he really didn't tell me much about it. Um, anyways, he came over to the house one day to hang out. And next thing I know, he's like, oh, I have a phone call. Oh, he's going to ask you some questions. I get, you know, <laughs> Just name, say yes. social, whatever. <laughs> right. Okay. And my very first event was at Vanderbilt Stadium uh, doing the halftime show. Uh, who was it? Virginia Tech and... Right Pretty big responsibility, was, first gig, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we well, I wasn't actually performing. I was, no, no, but you, you're doing the sound. You pull the wrong wire and something goes out here, yeah. Yeah, well, we built the stage and pushed it out in the middle of the thing, and we hid underneath the stage, and then at the end, <laughs> we pushed it back. So, But it was interesting because my first experience of kind of getting to go to an event for free yeah. uh, just because I was working it. And, then, and did you go on a tour with any artists or anything here? Did you do, uh, or just yeah, for venues? a hot minute there, I was uh, Tanya Tucker's tour manager there and stage manager. Tanya so, Tucker, you know, remember well. Those of you that are into classic old kind of rebel female country, she's yeah. up there. Glenn Campbell, um, Tanya Tucker, yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of history. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I ultimately ended up working for a company called Claire Brothers Audio, which is uh, the world's largest concert audio company. So they would be doing any anybody from Elton John and Paul McCartney. Anybody. Just so, in case you're super... talking to any of them on a weekend, both of them have an open invitation here at OC Talk Radio, Sir Paul or Sir Elton. Is he a sir? I think he must be a sir, too. Uh, oh, so, Paul? Oh, yeah, he's definitely a sir. I know. I don't know if Elton's a sir. I'm assuming he's a sir, too, but maybe not. Yeah, they both are. Anyway, when you're calling your buddies, tell them to come on by anytime. All right, so somehow you make it back to California. This is even stranger. You end up marrying the, your high school sweetheart. Is that Did I get this that right? This is true. Yes, <laughs> this is true. I should have done it a long, long time ago, but... Um, there was a wanderlust. Uh, you had to see the world and the army and touring and whatnot here. You had to finally come oh, back. Oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. I'm, I'm surprised I'm not dead or in jail <laughs> and that she wasn't uh, otherwise... Taken off the market here, yeah. Well, all right, so so all of that brings you back to California, the girl, the marriage, the whatnot, and here you are. And again, by accident, somebody says, hey, SBDC, Small Business Development Centers, they want to have a wide range of people, a lot of small businesses, a lot of medium-sized, some big businesses even come to them and say, we need help. And they're all funded by the SBA, so they don't charge these people for help. What can we do? How do we write a business plan? How do we increase your sales? How do we grow your profits, how do we get you loans, all these kinds of tangible things they're trying to do to grow businesses. And one of the big areas, I've seen it firsthand as I've been involved in the SVDC, lots of people want to own a restaurant. I always wonder why, because it's got to be one of the highest failure businesses in the world. But everybody thinks, me included, I had my stint, I ran, owned a place called Kelly McHugh's for about 10 years. Some guys and I thought it'd be fun to have an Irish pub dressed up as a billiard club. Wouldn't this be fun? It was a nightmare. It was one. It was like throwing a party at your house every night. People come over and throw and puke and steal and break things, and the police come and it's crazy and insane. And in the meantime, you got to keep the rats out and the cockroaches and the food good. And wow, there was a ton of stuff that went into running a restaurant business, much more than just fun notion. So because the SVD still gets so many 
startups or small restaurants, they needed a guy with restaurant experience. And somebody said, talk to Jay. Yep. And the next thing I know, somehow parlayed all this interesting knowledge and experience into being able to help other people. Because you're absolutely right. Restaurants are, we're all crazy. Everybody's we're crazy. We're all a bunch of loony birds. Yeah. Um, but there's, in my in my background, pretty much tapped into inadvertently, of course, two of the biggest common denominators of humanity, which is food and music. Yeah. Everybody loves food and music. Isn't that right? the truth? Right. And those of us, you know, as long as we don't get bogged down in in ethnic uh, uh, ethnicities with food or or demographics of who likes this music or that, it's all wonderful to yeah. be honest with you. Right. And many of us like but the yeah, like somehow, the many of us like the smorgasbord. I love living in California because you go into a, 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 any center: Turkish food, Mexican food, Indian food, every crazy thing you can see all over the place. That is like a smorgasbord. I grew up in the Midwest, as I said in Michigan. You know, we had meat and potatoes. The biggest innovation I remember in my life is Domino's Pizza came along. I mean, we didn't even have. Taco Bell or Mexican food or barely any Chinese food or anything else. It was just kind of this normal kind of meat and potato kind of diet here, which I think much of America still lives on. But, you know, it's expanded globally. We have these global chains, global choices and everything here. So most of us get excited about just like music. There was a handful of things on the radio. Now there's a million things on the radio. So the choices are endless now. Uh, there isn't just yeah, two or so three categories. With long. my experience, especially with the food side of things, uh, I worked primarily, I did work for some corporate places, but that was primarily front of house. And corporate, not, not that there's anything wrong with chain restaurants or anything like that. They're great. They they show you the structure. Yeah, the predictability uh, cooking, of it. They can do it the same every day. It may not be the most glamorous, wonderful cuisine in the world, but by God, it's the same every place you go. You give McDonald's right. its due. You know, that, that you go to McDonald's and halfway around the world, it still tastes like McDonald's. It still comes out. But um, when you're when you're a cook, when you're a chef and you want to grow, they can be stifling in a corporate restaurant. Oh, right. Yeah. There's no there's no creative creativity there unless you're just doing something after hours or for for yourself or for your colleagues. Right. right? So in order to really learn and grow, you want to go to an independent restaurant. And of course, what happens in an independent restaurant? Well, you've got an independent owner who's trying to wear all the hats and right. figure it out. That was right? me. I knew nothing about preparing. We we were, I thought I knew the bar business. I had some experience. I'm Irish, you know, and I love all these different things. So it'd be a fun place to look up all these different, back when they were just starting microbrewed beers and 50 types of tequila and scotches and rums and everything. All I thought that would be fun. And we should have some food. Yeah, just get somebody and let's make some food. The food was the hardest part of the business. The The liquor's where we lost money because we gave it away. They stole it, all sorts of crazy. The liquor caused the problems. But the food um, offset the alcohol. And to really get a successful business, you have to have a balance of both. It can't just be a booze bar. It can't just be all food. You, you know, you really have to have a combination of both, as we discovered. And the food was a problem, always. The food. I'll tell you the one thing that shocked me, and you, you'll laugh at it. see this. I say to people all the time, food on Friday night, we're cranking out simple stuff, burgers and sandwiches and whatnot. You may, we didn't have very, it's bar food, right? Simple food and casual food. And all of a sudden an order comes back wrong. They order the wrong stuff. It's no good. They don't like it. The whole line stops. 
everything gets backed up and everybody's debating, what's wrong with this? This isn't everything. And so the tendency is to stop everything and fix that to make this unhappy customer. Now I got 20 unhappy customers because everybody's waiting for the food. It's getting cold. It's taking a long time. Or you put it at the back of the line. I'll get to it when we've cranked all these other orders. Now this customer's really upset because they not only think they got something bad or wrong, they wait 30 minutes while you remake it. And everybody's upset. So that that orderly process of trying to get it, you know, should you have an expediter back there, somebody who's watching all this and pulling the tickets and, and monitoring it, or is the chef trying to do it on his own or the chef and their assistants? That whole assembly line mentality is amazing to me. And it was something, it was a real struggle to figure out. I'm not sure we ever figured it out. It's absolute controlled chaos. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Right. So in answer to your quick question, yes, you need an expediter. That, to me, is one of the most important positions in the entire place. Yeah, and we There's never, of, nobody told me that. We had to discover that the hard yeah. way. Yeah. Your dishwasher, dishwasher is massively important because you can be charming and be a bartender. You can be very nice and personable and be a waiter. You can be a crusty old curmudgeon and, and, and have calluses for days and be a chef. Right. But at the end of the day, if the dishes don't get done, you got nothing to put the plate, uh, the plate of food on, right? Oh. You don't have a dish to actually serve the drinks out of. And without mm -hmm. the expo, you've got people from the front of house who are dealing directly with the frustration coming to the back of house and taking that frustration out on them and they're already crusty, crumudgeon people and yeah. don't like that. So <laughs> conflict immediately, right? So I, I, I love the, watching like these bar rescue shows or restaurant rescue yeah. shows. I forget what they call them. Those guys that go in and you just go into the, particularly the back of the end of the house. And it, on a good night, which is what you want, everybody's in there, it turns into chaos. And now you don't send home 100 happy customers. You send home 50 pissed off customers who are never going to go back and are going to badmouth you. That was the other thing about the business. I had 20 great meals there. I have one lousy one. I quit, not coming back. I don't give you a second chance. So it's a very unforgiving business. It's a very, when it's hot, you got to crank stuff out and a good crew that can crank stuff out quickly and predictably, it's gold. It's gold. Yeah. It's gold. So I so, saw it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's, it's a fun thing, but much like you, you actually fell into one of the pitfalls that I would like to point out to people, which is, you got to know what you're getting into before you get into it. Yes. And that can, that applies across the board. Oh, we, I found a place. I want to open a restaurant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you know, can you afford it? Oh, well, I don't know, but I've already signed the lease, you know, yeah. slap. Right. What can you, you even get the liquor license right? approved there? Oh, I didn't think that was a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm really good at bartending. Um, but I don't know anything about the food side of things right. or, or, or cost control. I do amazing food but I don't know how to run the actual business. And all of those are great starting points, but you got to know the whole picture because at the end of the day, like I said, you're the one wearing all the hats. And then of course, when we came up with our menu, we all had suggestions. I want to do spaghetti. No, I want to do uh, burgers. No, I want to do um, some fish thing. And so we'd buy all these crazy things and then they wouldn't sell. People just wanted the burger. So the fish is going bad and we're throwing it away and other things like that. And then we're trying to, we get smart and say, well, what can you do to re chicken? That's why chicken's everywhere. You can reuse it and you can put it in this and then you can put it in uh, a soup or you can do other, you can find ways to, if, if it's not selling, you can repurpose it and reuse it and stuff here. We weren't that smart. We'd buy single item things and that we'd buy, have to buy a whole bunch of it and then the halibut would go bad because nobody wanted it or that wasn't selling. Yeah. Yeah, and so all of those kinds of crazy mistakes we made, and then the and then ugh, the scary part: how do you keep it safe back there? 
it gets there's crap on the floor if you don't take care of it then there's food parts and then there's instantly mice and rats and cockroaches and stuff here and oh my god no they die if they saw what's going on in the back here and so you try and you know to scrub I, I look at the back of the house and some of these things are, and they're just filthy and dirty and greasy and Nobody ever bothers to clean them, and they think, who cares? Nobody sees it. Who cares? Because that's what attracts all the problems, the rodents and the rats and the cockroaches. Yeah, and everything. yeah, which uh, a, lot of, a lot of business owners don't understand. They have to put in the procedures that they want followed. Yes. If you've got a back of house, for instance, let's, you know, even if it wasn't bugs and, and vermin, you know, what about what are the expectations for the cleanliness of the facility? Yeah. Do you want them going home, leaving the, the stove on and the pilot off? Right. Yeah. There's there's simple stuff, a checkout list. You right. Know? Exactly. And some people just kind of wing this stuff and don't really. Or they would procedure. put the food in. We found guys which just you know, the, the chefs thought he knew what he was doing. Some this isn't we're not we're not doing fine chefs here. So they worked at some fast food place before and. They would start taking the chicken and just sticking it in the freezer. Sometimes in, the freezer's full because we didn't have enough room, so we're putting it in with the beer and other crazy things like that in the cooler, and people forget about it. And then stuff's going mm-hmm. bad. Or people, well, you had somebody get sick once. You know, honestly, God, it was our fault probably because we weren't, were we monitoring how long that food sat? Was anybody, was there any labels on it? Did we know how long has that been in there? I don't know. I mean, it's silly, simple stuff like that, but you better stick to a procedure. You're going to be in trouble. And you're going to get health yeah. problems. You're going to get sick. You're going to get customers complaining of food poisoning yeah. or something here. And yeah. So one of the one of the biggest pitfalls I see with people is uh, just simple human hubris, right? Thinking they know and they just don't. Yeah. And I don't know if it's pride. I'm not sure what it is, but they don't want to necessarily ask for help until. Too frequently, it's too late. Yes, exactly. Right? I can't tell you how many calls I've got, which is if we don't fix things tomorrow, we're not going to make it through the end of the month. Yeah, a little too late and to it, be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But on the hubris side of things, a lot of people think they know what's going on and then they don't actually know it. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's no harm, no foul. It's your business. It's up to you as to what you want to do. But that's what we're here for is. You know, well, I don't really know what my cost of goods are. Well, yeah. when's the last time you ran inventory and actually priced this out? Exactly. Well, my dad did that when he founded the restaurant back in 1970. And they've yeah. been around for 35, 40 years. Exactly. And you're like, okay, so how do you how do you know what how much money you have sitting on your cell, shelves? Exactly. When's the last time you've done your profit and loss or a balance sheet or any of that besides and gone in depth into it. Or looked at your recipes and said, do we really need this and this and this? Or why are we still putting this in there? Right. Or something? Or maybe there's something we should be substituting instead of the butter or something. Maybe there's a different way to, to, to update the taste and the flavor and to control your cost. Cost, yeah. cost, cost. I mean, there's multiple ways to figure it out. But for instance, just giving you an example, I had a client that owns a uh, Hispanic restaurant over in Big Bear. And she once upon a time had a carne asada burrito on her menu and it was her top seller mm-hmm. i think she sold it for 13 or 14.99 mm-hmm. and it came with the sides and you know all that fun stuff um but all of a sudden she her profits were doing fine and all of a sudden they were just starting to plummet and flatline and go down right significantly and she's like i don't know what's happening i'm still selling so the carne started, asada why where's the money going yeah right right so we took a look at it and every item that you make 
you sell it for X amount. Right. Your food cost for that X amount should be in a restaurant anywhere from 28 to 35%. Her food cost for that carne asada burrito was 85%. <laughs> just on food. Right. Now, the two biggest things for a restaurant is going to be your food cost, usually 30%-ish, mm -hmm. and then labor. Together combined, those are called prime costs. And those prime costs should not exceed 65%. You want them in the 60% range. Mm -hmm. So 30% food, 30% labor, right? And then the rest kind of falls into line if you're doing everything kind of right. Mm -hmm. But of course, you want to very be meticulous going through all those extra costs. Mm -hmm. But at an 85% food cost, she was basically the government subsidizing and giving it away for free. She was paying her yeah. employees to give it to. Yeah. So she was paying her customers. Every Everyone she sold, she lost money. No wonder it was Every popular. Single time. Yeah. So we went through and we took a look at it. And in order to run a proper 30% food cost, she would have had to sell it for like 28 or 29 bucks. <laughs> she's putting everything under the sun into it. Yeah, right. And she's like, I can't do that. Nobody's going to buy it. Right. Right. And I think personally, I think corporations get kind of a bad rap because a lot of people think, oh, it's the bottom line. It's the bottom line. It's just the evil right. corporations. It's all about. They don't the, care the about the food. And the, they don't yeah. care. True, but not exactly true, right? What running your numbers do does, it gives you the information. What you choose to do with it is entirely up to you. We got like three or four minutes left. I just want to make one other point that I learned the hard way. We did it because we thought it would be fun and maybe it would be profitable. But fun was the key ingredient. Won't this be fun? We can hang out here. We can bring our friends here. Won't this be fun? And we know how we like to go out to eat. We like to drink. What do we need to know about running a restaurant? It will be fun. We hire people that know what they're doing and they're going to put all this stuff together. And what you don't know is what kills you in these places. What you don't have any experience with is what sinks your business. And the numbers, it really comes down to a business. None of us were numbers people. We didn't go into it with an accounting background. We didn't go into it having already figured out costs of goods and what the ratios were supposed to be and what our poor cost should be and what our food cost should be and our and all these ratios because none of us had that experience. We're just bringing some other people that did. And of course we heard different things and, and of course then the chef, you know, you can't fire the chef because he's the only one that knows what to do. If he leaves, the whole place closes so he gets away with anything here, you know. Uh, lots of those kinds of things. It's what is it about restaurants? We all think this will be fun, and may and and so well, easy and so profitable. Yeah, yeah, because it's so social, right? I guess that's in your house, is. in your house. What yeah. is the what is the most social room in the house? It's usually the kitchen, the kitchen, kitchen yeah. and living room. Yeah. That's it. Right. But half the time, when you're in the living room, you're eating something you got from the kitchen. Absolutely. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, that's the key. Is we don't know what we don't know. We need to. We need help with those types of things. Exactly. And if we can get it, which is what the SBDC provides, you know, for free. And if you don't then... make it through that first year, usually one of two things happens. You go out of business, which is why this, I don't know what the ratio is, but it's pretty darn high. 85, 95, a ton of these restaurants go out of business after a year or two. And I say it's not because they had a bad idea, maybe, or a bad location, maybe. It's because they didn't really know what they were doing. And by the time they figured out, it's, they're done. They've lost too much money. They're too far in the hole. They got problems. They're backed up. Whatever here, if you can make it two, three, four years, you've somehow tried to figure it out. I think we lasted ten years, and it, the first two or three years were rough. 
and we had to get pretty brutal towards you. And we had fire friends. You know, I know we brought you because you were a buddy, but you got to go, Joe. You don't know what you're doing, or you stole some money or something here. You know, lots of crazy stuff. So, but I think I think that's the real key is just to try and get people to understand that we're here to help, and that we have knowledge. Not just me. You know, I'm the food guy, sure, but I'm not an accounting genius. You know, we've got other people. We've got marketing people. We've yes. got a ton of other expertise, and that's the point: is we're all willing to help. Well, I'm going to send restaurant people to you, Jay Alice. You, which centers do you work? You work out of two centers. You're kind of unusual here. You work uh, for yeah, yeah. I work at the Inland Empire uh, Small Business Development Center as well as the Coachella Valley Small Business Development Center. Okay, so, so those are but. We collaborate pretty pretty regularly across the OCIE, Orange County Inland Empire. I've helped other food consultants. Uh, um, Greg Bell, for instance, he and I uh, uh, collaborate from time to time and have done training programs along with uh, Alan and Q. Um, so, yeah, we're all here to help. Each of us brings a slightly different perspective to yeah. everything. And not just running it, but how do you market it? How do you get it up and running? Usually these things are underfunded, too, to begin with. So they got to get up and going quickly. Or if you take too long to find your customer base or the concept, I, I still say I'm more of a concept guy. I'm more of a marketing guy. That's really what tracked me into it. And I'm stunned how little thought they put into the concept or marketing. We're just going to throw it open. The doors are going to people are going to come. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's I call that the field of dreams. You know, if yeah. we cook it, they will come. Yeah, not exactly Let's true. Open the door, the smell wafts out, and everybody's going to come in. I've seen some yeah. wonderful restaurants go under because I thought, what, you know, nobody knows you're here, one, or what were you thinking? This is the wrong concept for the wrong place. This is not yep. a place for fine, I don't know, pick some exotic food, Korean food in the middle of this thing. Or maybe it is. Maybe it's just you got to show it and demonstrate it. But, it is a, it's a very challenging business to run. The front of the house is totally different. It's customer service side. The back of the house is production, control, cost. And you've got to have two different sorts of brains. So it's usually two different people, partners. There's somebody who knows the back end, somebody who knows the front end. It really is divided into those two halves. And uh, somebody that has an experience like you do in both is invaluable. So. Yeah. Great resource. That's the trick is if you can if you can sort it out, you know, it's gonna be hard work. Being a small business owner, whether it's restaurant or anything else, it is hard work. But if you get it under control and figure out what you're doing and educate yourself or get the assistance that you need, at the end of the day, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And if it's not necessarily fun, well, maybe it provides the profitability for you to have fun on your free time. Yeah, maybe, right, right exactly. So. Maybe the shoe store isn't the most exciting thing in the world, but if you've got it down and it runs and stays there for 10 years, it makes a nice living for your family. Hey, it, 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 it led to a great TV show with Al Bundy. <laughs> if nothing else, they got that. <laughs> Jay Alice, uh, is there an email, any way people can reach you, give us, uh, or do they just call the SVD centers, or what you want to give any yeah, email? Yeah, you can call the lead center, and uh, they will direct you to me. Just tell them that you want to talk to me or one of the food consultants. One of the if food you'd like guys. To email me directly, uh, it is jay.allis at ociesbdc.org. For the o Orange County OC Inland Empire Small Business Development Center, OCIE, a lot of letters there, SBDC, you can, if you're thinking open a restaurant, do not pass go. Do not sign a lease until you talk to Jay or somebody like Jay. It's free. Why wouldn't you figure it out? And they're going to tell you, it ain't as easy as you thought. 
And if you're really determined to do it, they'll walk with you, they'll hold your hand and help you from making some very fatal mistakes that too many restaurateurs make. Or give you alternatives, because there's a lot of different alternatives than just opening up a street or a restaurant. Exactly. And these days and age, we had somebody on one of the shows of these uh, food trucks, or you've got uh, private chefs, and other ways you can express your creativity without taking on a very expensive lease for 10 years and putting mm-hmm. 200 or half a million dollars in tenant improvements into the store, uh, all on a whim, yeah. all, on an, all on a beautiful dream that you have here. So anyway, we're not here to talk you out of it. We're help. We're here to help you succeed. And uh, some of that is to tell you the real truth once in a while and give you some real facts to go along with the fairy tale. But uh, at the end of the day, it's free. Why wouldn't you take advantage of it? Jay Alice, thanks for joining us here today. Absolutely, anytime. As we conclude another episode of the Profit Talks podcast, we hope we've empowered your entrepreneurial spirit. Reach out to us to connect with our experts, and let's take your business to the next level. Keep those dreams alive, keep pushing forward, and stay tuned for more. And if you liked what you heard in today's podcast and you want your business to reach new heights, just contact us at ProfitTalksPodcast.org or call us at 1-800-616-7232. That's 1-800-616-7232. So until next time, keep thriving.